Hey everybody, welcome to the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast, dedicated to raising awareness, sharing IBD stories, and offering support for those with Crohn's and colitis. Together, we can share knowledge, experiences, and help show the world the many faces of IBD. Well, hi everyone. Thank you for joining me today for another episode of the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Gish, Crohn's warrior since 2006 and lifelong fitness fanatic. My guest today is Logan Crumrine, who, after battling Crohn's disease for 25 years and has just recently come out of a six-year flare, is finally sharing his voice and Crohn's journey to begin advocating for those with IBD. You'll find him as at the crony dad on Instagram. And I have a fun little fact here. About a month ago, Logan and I were actually preparing for our most recent colonoscopies on pretty much the same day. So he just had a recent one on June 10th, and I went in for mine on June 11th. And even though we're not in the same state, being able to share your experiences with someone else who's going through the same thing even at the same time is really what makes our IBD community so amazing and truly makes you realize that you are not alone in this disease. So seeing the need for more male IBD advocates, Logan is stepping up to the plate and is here today to share his journey and 25 years of knowledge and experience with Crohn's. So thank you so much for joining me today, Logan, and welcome to the show. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. So, as I mentioned in the intro, you've had Crohn's disease for 25 years now. So let's go ahead and jump into that. And why don't you start by sharing your Crohn's story and how you were diagnosed? Okay. Um, I was a junior in high school when I was diagnosed in 1992. Um, and diagnosis back then was not a super fun thing to go through um, because they didn't know as much as they do now about IBD, obviously, because research um, leads to better understanding. So what happened to me was I got really sick, um, very low energy, was unable to keep food down. Um, I remember a period of several days where I was like vomiting every hour on the hour for no explainable reason. Um, I lost a bunch of weight. Um, I think I got down to about 120 pounds um, wow. when I was and a junior in high school. You? I'm six feet tall, so I was very skinny um, wow. by the time I got um, to a doctor. And diagnosis was mainly, uh, for me, was the old way. Um, what I went through is you had to drink the uh, barium liquid. I don't know if they do barium anymore. I think they might. Um, mm -hmm. But then you get put on this big table and it kind of moves you around to move that barium through your intestines and system and all that stuff. Um, it was kind of a weird experience for a 17-year-old <laughs> kid to go through. Yeah. Um, sounds a little strange. <laughs> yeah. And I got, so I got um, diagnosed. It probably took six months to a year to get diagnosed. Um, and then they immediately put me on a very, very large dose of sulfasalazine, which I think they still use, but I'm not sure. Um, I know it was a horrible medication. I had to take like 12 or 18 of these tablets, sulfa tablets a day. Um, mm -hmm. And so I had to deal with all of that going into my system as well, which was kind of overwhelming as well. Um, but for whatever, yeah. go ahead. Tell me a little bit more about, you said it took about six months to a year to get the diagnosis. Tell me a little bit more about what the delay was. Uh, sometimes there's people who are fortunate enough to get a diagnosis right away, but a lot of us struggle for years. What was it like for you going through that year of not being, not having a diagnosis and trying to get to that point? Sure. It was, it was stressful because not only was I um, sick all the time, um, for unexplainable reasons, but um, I was also a high school student, so I had mm -hmm. to still keep up with work and keep going. I kept going to school, 
the same time. At that time, I wasn't really having any urgency issues. So I think that probably, as far as needing to go to the bathroom really quickly. So I think mm -hmm. that kind of delayed my diagnose a little bit. Um, we were lucky to have a, a doctor in a town fairly near to us, about 60 miles away. I was raised in a very small town in central Washington. Um, and so we actually had to go to another town to, to get tests and all that stuff done. So there was a lot of driving back and forth. Um, I just remember being fatigued all the time. Um, I can't really nail down all the tests because it's been so long. Um, but I know mm -hmm. there was a lot of blood work, um, a lot of, okay, well, what can we eat today? Um, let's try this, let's try this, let's try the brat diet, let's try all this other stuff, um, just to see what I was able to eat. Um, and it just took a long time. Um, I remember distinctly one time before I was, um, diagnosed, I was in gym class and we were running, playing basketball or something. And I remember ending up on the floor, curled up in a ball, um, mm. just sobbing, which was very embarrassing for a high school junior male, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I remember that distinctly, but really it's just kind of snapshots from that initial diagnosis um, yeah. that I have. 25 years ago is a long time. Yeah. So I was on sulfasalzine for a while. I went into remission. I guess you could call it semi-remission, or I just kind of stopped taking my sulfasalzine. I went to college. Um, mm -hmm. From 93 to 97, I was in fairly good shape. I noticed that some foods would um, irritate my system, spicy foods or really greasy foods during that time. I would have to just, it would not be super urgent, but I would need to get to the restroom quickly. Um, and then in 97, in college, I went into flare again. Um, and that was a really bad flare. Um, and had you stopped taking the sulfasalazine? Were you on medications at that time when that happened? I was not on medications at that time. I had stopped taking the sulfasalazine because I had felt like everything had settled down. And I kind mm -hmm. of put in the back of my mind that I had Crohn's disease, right? Because it mm -hmm. didn't, it doesn't really, the magnitude of it hadn't clicked yet for me. Yeah. And um, it's easy to forget about really when we're feeling good. It's almost kind of easy to trick ourselves and think, you know what? I'm fine. I'm, I can do everything that everybody else does. And right. Eat everything that everybody else does. Right. Yeah. So I went into semi remission and then in 97, I had a really bad flare again. Um, I think I went to the ER a couple times, uh, for that flare. Again, they put me back on sulfasalzine, I think, cause they were like, Hey, what worked in the past? Um, mm -hmm. and even 22 years ago, we didn't know an awful lot, um, as yeah. far as treatment there, goes. There weren't a whole lot of other types of treatments at that time, were there in 97? Yeah, I don't believe so. I don't think we had gotten into the biologics. I don't think we had gotten into the um, gut-specific um, medications. I mean, probiotics were still, a th I think they were a thing, but it wasn't as big as it is now. Um, and so my flare in college was a pretty bad one. I ended up having surgery in that, that flare because my doctor was um, a doctor that just thought surgery was the best way to um, treat my disease. And so we, they went in and ended up having um, a large bowel resection. So half of my large bowel was taken out. So 12 inches of that. And then I had three to four feet of my small intestine removed as well. Um, and that was be because I had so many fistulas, um, which fistulas are abnormal connections between bowel. It's when a piece of bowel will rub up against another piece of bowel and they're inflamed and they just connect and form a hole to each other. Um, and so I had, I think, six or eight of those that they had to deal with. Um, and so Thanksgiving of 97, I spent in the hospital um, because I was having bowel resection. So Wow. Um, what was it like to recover from that? I was in the hospital for... Um, about 10 days, I think. 
Um, and I remember the surgeon saying everything went great. The parts that they did take out were, were a mess, but we didn't have any really, um, bad, um, after effects. Um, so it went well. Um, I mean, when you go in for surgery for any type of intestinal disease, they want to make sure everything's working. And so I had about three days there where everything was kind of still waking up. So I didn't get any food. So I lost a bunch of weight again. Um, and I had to wait until I passed gas before they would give me any food. Cause that's, that wasn't their indication that everything was working fine. And then they could feed me again. Yep, so, yep. Same thing um, after a colonoscopy, you got to pass gas before you can go home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Same thing. Um, and then for that, I actually went into remission for about 15 years. So, oh, wow. um, that surgery seemed to be very, very successful. Um, and then I went into remission, like I said, for 15 years and I got married, um, had my two kids. We had my two kids and just kind of forgot about Crohn's disease again, um, because it's, you know, out of sight, out of mind. I was doing well. I felt good. Um, I was able to eat fairly regularly um, and just kind of do whatever I did. I finished my degree um, and I mean, everything was going really great. Um, and then 2012 is when um, I started having some issues. Um, and we were in Portland, Oregon at that time. We were living in Portland and got connected with a really good doctor there and um, had a scope. Everything was fine. Um, she put me on some medication. I don't remember exactly what the medication is now. I think we might have started with Remicade just mm -hmm. as a prevention. Um, and were you, were you still seeing a doctor regularly, even during the 15 years of being in remission? No, and I think that's probably one of the mistakes that I made um, mm -hmm. is that I wasn't seeing a doctor regularly and I didn't have a doctor who knew about my condition. And so when I went to my mm -hmm. primary care provider and said, Hey, I think I'm flaring. He was like, what are you talking about? Cause we hadn't <laughs> even really talked about Crohn's. I mean, I think I'd, I had wow. written it down as any disease you have, but it was so far into mm -hmm. remission that it just didn't even really think about it at all. Mm -hmm. um, which again is normal for, uh, Crohn's stories, right? It goes, or Crohn's and colitis stories. Yeah. It goes away yeah. and you kind of go, oh, well, I must I'm be free. okay now. <laughs> yeah, I'm done. Woo, no more. <laughs> um, and so that started, I think I went on Remicade, like I said, and went back six months later, had another scope, and my intestines were in really bad shape. Um, so there's some indication that medication may have triggered it a little bit, but I'm not sure. Again, I'm not a doctor. Um, but it seemed like I went on medication and got worse. Um, so I was on Remicade for a long time. Um, a few, a couple years, I think, and just kept getting worse and worse and worse. Um, and then in five years ago, four years ago, four years ago, we moved to where we live now and actually moved in with my um, wife's parents. Um, and the reason we did that is because we didn't think at that point that um, I was going to live to see 40 because I, in this flare, I was so sick that I had to quit my job. Um, I could not, um, I was losing weight. I lost about a hundred pounds, um, in the span of about a year and a half. Um, very weak, very tired, um, could not, um, keep anything down. No medication was working. I was rotating through the biologics and all of those. Um, my and doctor was, I was going to say, this was all kind of escalating from 2012 was when you first started having the Crohn's symptoms come back. And then, yeah had everything just kind of kept escalating over the next few years until, until probably 2014, 15, yeah. maybe that you moved back. 
yeah, I think May of 2014 we moved. Um, if my wife hears this and I'm wrong, she'll tell me it's fine. <laughs> um, so, um, but we moved up here because we didn't know if I was going to live because nothing was working and I was losing weight. I could not get any nutrients. My body was not absorbing any nutrients at all. Um, my doctor was ready to do surgery again. Um, I didn't want to go through another surgery. Um, and so I actually got, he said, okay, well, there's one more chance. I don't know if they'll take you or not, but we can send you down to the digestive disease center at the UW university of Washington. Mm-hmm. And so I got hooked up with them. Um, my doctor that I have there is the director of that, uh, disease center. He takes very complex cases on, um, and he decided to take me on and, um, it, it has just been an amazing journey with the university of Washington. They are just an amazing group there. And, um, we've been able to, we went through a bunch of other medications. I was on some clinical trials. Um, I was on a clinical trial that was working really well and they were having too much success. So they ended the trial because they thought the results were flawed. Oh no. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And it's, it's, what was, uh, how did you react to that? I'm assuming they took away the the medications if they ended the trial. Yeah, and it was it was a shock to us. It was it was one of those um, literal punches in the gut for us because we actually called like a week before we were, or they called us like a week before or two days before. I don't remember. It was not very long before I was supposed to go in and have my next treatment with them. Um, and they said, oh, so we're ending the trial and there's, they're stopping the trial. They're, we're taking you off the medication and we're just going to be done with the trial. They're shutting it down. And it was just that quick. It was within three days we were done. And so we had to kind of take a shock to, I mean, that's a shot to the gut because we had some medicine that we thought was working really well. Um, and then uh, my doctor at the UW said, let's just leave everything how it is right now and see um, what happens. We needed to wait, kind of go into a waiting period. Because when you're on a clinical trial, you can't just jump into another clinical trial. You have to have a certain amount of time. Like I think it's 120 days or something like that for all the medicine that you were previously on to clear your system. And um, how many clinical trials had you done at that point? Was that the first one you had tried or was this a number of different? I believe that was the second one we were on Mm -hmm. um, because the first one we did didn't work. Um, And what happened was we we were at the point where we had one medication left um, to try and that's Stellara. Um, And I have not been on Stellara yet. Um, I've heard really great things about Stellara. Um, but my doctor said, he said, I want to just, let's just wait and see what happens for this 120 days. I can't do anything with you anyway. So let's just wait and see what happens. We're going to keep you on the medication you're on, not the trial. Cause I was on, um, azathioprine, uh, already and through the trial. He said, as long as we just keep you on that, you can move into another trial. Because if I quit it, we have to wait even longer for that to clear your system and all of that. Um, And at that point, I started to um, go into remission. Um, And I remember distinctly going to an appointment with my doctor and him him looking at me and my wife and said, he kind of threw up his hands. He said, I don't know what to do with you because when I treat you, it gets worse, but when I, now that I've stopped treating you for six months, you're actually going into remission. And so um, this last colonoscopy, like you said, on June 10th, um, I had no active disease at all. Um, we did an upper endoscopy and a lower, and so I have no active disease in my um, gut at all at this point. Wow. So we're in clinical remission. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's how long has it been from the time that that your doctor took you off the well, you had to end the clinical trial. But when he said, we're just going to leave you and see what happens, how many 
how long has that been from that time to the colonoscopy now? I think it's right in the 18 month mark. Wow. Um, so it took me 18 months to go into clinical remission, um, still finding a new normal um, because I can't work still because right now I, my um, colon is in such bad shape that my doctor has described it as um, a lead pipe instead of flexible. It's just the scar tissue is so bad um, that there's just no flex left. Um, and then this last time we did something new with my colonoscopy, they injected dye in there. I don't know if they do that for yours or not. No, I haven't had that for a, a colonoscopy. I think I've heard about it, but I've not yeah. had one like that. And it was amazing to see the pictures after he had injected that dye in there because it, it just showed how much scar tissue there is in there. And when he was talking wow. to my wife, cause they check in with whoever's driving you instead of you, cause you're kind of loopy. Um, <laughs> He said, he said, there's no active disease, but um, the scar tissue, it basically makes the inside of my uh, colon um, look like cobblestone at this point. So, mm -hmm. um, so that's the new normal that I'm trying to deal with now. Um, what is, do they do for that? Is there anything that they try to remedy that or is it just a, kind of nothing to do? Well, I have to find a new normal because um, I do take some medication. I take some medication called Lamotil, which slows my system down. Um, I'm not sure how it exactly works, but it essentially just slows everything down so that um, the urgency leaves and the, um, it forms everything up a little bit more. Um, so that you don't have the urgency or the, it, it helps calm down the, um, the system enough that it can pull nutrients and it can just slows everything down. I don't know if there's a better way to describe that. Yeah. Makes sense. So, yeah, but I still have to deal with the fact that when I have to go, I have to go. Like yesterday I was coming home from picking up uh, another test that I'm going through now um, a sleep study and had to pull off the road in the van and we have a van. So I have a porta potty in my van because the urgency that I was going through, it was, it was immediate, uh, no waiting, got to go right now. Um, yeah. and so we've adapted a little bit to life cause that's what you have to do. Yeah. We just, we keep moving forward. Yeah. So what's it been like? You're describing that you're now trying to find a new normal. What, kind of what does that entail for the process? Cause I know you recently mentioned to me, I think in one of the emails we were talking back and forth that you're doing a food log, maybe a food sensitivity. So tell me a little bit about what this process of finding a new normal is like for you. Right. So for me right now, I'm basically, um, because when I've been in remission in the past, I've just kind of lost the awareness of having Crohn's and I don't want to do that this time because I don't want to get back to where I was. Um, and so for me, I'm paying attention to the foods that I'm eating, um, logging some symptoms as I remember to, I'm trying to develop that habit, um, because it's hard to log every symptom that gets exhausting. I mean, you yeah. probably know you've been there, right? Yeah. It's exhausting to log. Full of symptoms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you look through, yeah. you know, oh, look, it's your journal. Sure, if you want to look through <laughs> there, go ahead. Like, don't read that. <laughs> it's going to say, oh, ate this, made me poop five minutes later. Um, <laughs> yep. So, and there's foods that I find, and one day I'll be fine. The next day I'll eat it and half an hour later, it's coming out the other end just because it's just not agreeing with me that day. And so it's really difficult to find that balance. Um, I'm trying to exercise more, um, getting out and getting walks in more frequently, um, just starting from square one and really building a new normal for myself and for my wife and for my kids. So. Yeah. Really looking at the whole picture of health overall and just being able to move. 
are you finding the are you finding the walking has had any benefits either kind of mentally or just physically have you found anything there mentally it it has really helped when i first started um i was doing the step counter i was you know figuring out how far i was walking every day setting my goals getting all those things going and um for about a week i went without doing any of that stuff and i just found that i just really enjoyed just the quiet of walking out and being away from the house um, because for the past five years i've been kind of housebound i mean there's been very little places i could actually go um, and do um, and so for me it's just the mental break of being able to get out and walk i did this morning um, I'll go again this afternoon with, when my wife gets home, we'll go on a walk together and just to be able to just spend those times because I've missed so much being in flair. Um, when I went into flair, my, uh, oldest son was 10 and my youngest son was eight. And so there's 16 and 15 now, no 16 and 14 now. Um, and so I've missed a lot of things. I missed a lot of concerts and a lot of, um, just activities and hikes and visiting family and all that stuff just because I couldn't leave. I couldn't go anywhere. Yeah. How have you explained to your kids? Because they've, they're still pretty young, but it sounds like they were really young when you had this most kind of this six year flare start cropping up. So how was it explaining the, what was happening to them? And did you, did you explain or what did you do to help them understand you know, what's going on with dad. Yeah. Um, we made sure that we kept it as age appropriate as we possibly could. Mm -hmm. Um, in the beginning, it was a lot of dad's not feeling good. Um, when we moved, it wasn't, we're moving because we think dad might die. It was, we're moving to be closer to family. You're going to get to see your cousins all the time. You're going to get to see grandma and grandpa all the time, you know? And so they were excited about that. And we kind of just kept it positive. We didn't hide my disease from them because Mm -hmm. kids are not dumb. (laughs) Even at, even at 10 and eight, they (laughs) even notice, Hey, Mm -hmm. dad's going to the bathroom an awful lot. You know, Mm -hmm. is that normal? And, um, they are resilient. Um, both of them adapt very well. Um, they understand now that there's days when I just can't go. And so those moments that I am there for track meets or choir concerts for me have become much more special. Um, we don't do an awful lot of that, uh, filming of stuff on our phone. We just sit and experience those moments because they're so precious to hold on to. Yeah, and that's a, a great point because it is it's very different when you're trying to film it and capture it on your phone instead of just sitting there and really being in the moment. I think we right. forget sometimes what that's what that's like. Yeah, and I had a photographer friend of mine um who takes pictures uh professionally and he realized one day and he he told me the story. He said I realized that my kids are only going to know their dad at these experiences through a camp from the other side of a camera. And Mm -hmm. at that point he just stopped taking his camera everywhere and just lived in the moment. And he said, just, you still capture all those moments. You just capture them in your memory. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing still to me that I go to concerts and there's so many, parents and it's their choice what you guys i mean you do whatever you want but it's just amazing to me how many people are watching their kids through phones Um, and kids notice that as well and um so yeah we've just tried to um make sure those days matter every day has to matter um we often talk about at the end of the day when me and my wife are kind of saying hey how was today um that today was not wasted and we just want to make sure that we're not throwing any days away um, because they are so, so precious. Well, and what a great outlook to have. I mean, it, it's sad when you think about what you had to go through to kind of have this outlook develop in life with Crohn's and all these experiences. And 
in the move and facing, you know, life and reality, but what an incredible outlook to now have that I think a lot of us should really have that same outlook and really take the time because every day is precious. And I think we forget that too easily these days. Yeah. Yeah. And the kids notice that stuff, right? They, they see that. Yeah. So, so tell me, uh, you recently took a trip to California cause I know that you've said you've been housebound quite a bit throughout, you know, this last flare and everything, but in one right. of your, I think it was an Instagram post, I think is what I saw. And you'd mentioned you took a trip, but you were really grateful for the airlines and them being able to accommodate your IBD. So I'm curious to know what are some of the tips that you've maybe learned over the years for traveling and are there different ways to actually contact the airline ahead of time for special accommodations? Right. So my ex this experience was actually my first trip on an airline um, since I was in Flair. So I mm -hmm. haven't taken any vacations in the last six uh, years that haven't been to specific someone's house. Um, and so it was daunting um, at first, I was like, how in the world am I going to do this? Because how, how what am I going right, to do if I'm stuck on the tarmac and the little seatbelt light is on and they won't let me get up and go to the bathroom? What mm -hmm. am I going to do? Um, and so my wife, who is the most incredible advocate and... Um, caregiver I've ever could ever hope for. Um, she goes to every doctor's appointment with me. She's given me shots of methotrexate. She, um, she's just an amazing support, um, for me. Um, she said, well, why don't we just call them and find out what they can do? I was like, oh, well, that's a fairly simple solution, but what are they going to be able to do? Cause Crohn's is relatively, um, unknown still, mm -hmm. um, to a lot of people. Um, or it's, oh yeah, my cousin's grandma's girlfriend or boyfriend has the, yeah. has Crohn's disease. So I know exactly what you're going through. So I said, okay, well, I'll give them a call. And I called up and, uh, we flew Alaskan airlines. I'm not advertising for them, but they were wonderful. Mm -hmm. Um, I told them my condition. Um, and I said, and it's really a day to day, hour to hour condition. And, um, they said, uh, whatever accommodations we need to make for you to make your flight more comfortable, we will do that. Um, they were happy to seat me near um, the restroom. If I needed to change my ticket that day, they were happy to do that. They let me board early um, so that I could get in and get comfortable and sit down and kind of get the lay of the land, right? Because whenever you mm -hmm. go somewhere new, the first thing you look for, conscious or not, is where's the bathrooms? Yep. Um, and my kids and wife are great because now my kids, like if we're going somewhere new, they'll like, as we're getting a table at a restaurant or whatever, they'll just automatically go find the restroom and come back and say, Hey dad, the restrooms are over there down that hall. <laughs> so it's just kind of second nature for them. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but the airline was great. Um, it turned out that when I got there, I had kind of dosed up on my Lamotal. My doctor told me that, yeah, you can dose up on Lamotal. Um, just mm -hmm. be aware when it, when it wears off and gets through your system, you're going to have to go to the bathroom. Um, I ate very light the day before. Um, I got a very early morning flight because my system is typically not very active in the morning. Um, and so I planned, I took really good steak as we were getting ready for the trip on when we should travel because of when um, my system was active and my system is not very active in the morning. So we flew in the morning, mm -hmm. um, and actually was able to get through the airport, um, onto the plane and flew into LAX with, and got to the hotel before I even needed to use the restroom. So that was a good wow. six hours, um, mm -hmm. which was pretty, um, incredible for me. Um, again, though, that support of having someone with you. Uh, my wife was looking for restrooms. She was there to help if I needed it. Um, she was ready to advocate for me. Um, 
any of that stuff. But the airline was great and very accommodating and said, if you need to get up, if we're stuck on the car tarmac and you need to get up, I, sh I carry with me a card that says I can't wait. Um, it's, I think mm -hmm. it's from the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it sure is. And I show I, I was able to be ready to show them that if I needed to. And, and the person that I talked to on the phone said, if you show us that card, we're going to let you go to the restroom. We're not, we're not going to stop you from doing that. So yeah. um, they were excellent. Um, coming back, we, it was a little more daunting because I had eaten some food that I was not used to. Um, the day before we flew out, we were able to go to Disneyland and visit mm -hmm. there which was pretty fun. And um, flying back, we were flying out at three o'clock and two to eight is usually a very active time for my system. Um, and so that was a little scary, <laughs> but yeah. again, through my medication dose up and eating very as light as I could the day before, making sure that I was not eating greasy foods or foods that I knew were gonna throw me uh, for a loop then um, just ate very, very light and very easy meals um, and just drank a lot of water and stay hydrated and, and dose up on the meds. So, and it went great. So that's awesome to hear. And it's awesome to, it's just great to hear how receptive the airline was and how willing they were and such a, such a simple tip. I mean, an idea from your wife to just simply call. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a, a great tip. And sometimes we forget what's right in front of us. And it also sounds like you've really been able to learn over the years. It sounds like you've learned and understand your body. You're listening to your body, knowing right. what it needs when your kind of critical times are and maybe where you might have a window. Yeah. Which I think and is I think important that's, too. I think that's vital um, and that's one thing that I, I think I would advise anyone who's just starting on the journey is really to, to keep some sort of a log. Now there's tons of apps out there to help. Um, I think you've suggested a few before, um, mm -hmm. on your podcasts, but I think that a, a paper log is nice, um, just because it there's a connection to actually writing stuff down um, rather yeah. than um, just kind of putting it in your phone because it just becomes another thing that's digital and you don't really think about it that much um, mm -hmm. and being really conscious of um, what you are going through and what your body's going through is, is, is super important for uh, people who are just starting out as well as people who may have been in remission that might be having a little bit of a flare go on. Uh, because you just never know when you're going to have another flare. I agree with you 100%. And I think one of the things I actually love about a paper log, like you mentioned, is that you, it's so easy to flip through, especially if, if it's new and you're just starting to track things. It's so easy to just take that notebook and flip through it and scan through it. And you don't have to open your phone, turn your phone on, open an app, wait for the app to respond. You can just open the notebook, write it down. It's quick. It's easy to look through and hopefully help you to find patterns. So I think that's right. a great, a great tip. Well, and as you're learning what foods are your trigger foods, if for some reason you go to someone's house and they're having something that you ate last week, you can go back to that log very quickly and be like, oh, so this is what I'm going to expect if I eat mm -hmm. this. So then you can plan kind of the next day as well because you're going to know what you're in for or you're going to choose to eat differently because, um, because of what happened last time. That's a great, great point. So you've spent, I'm curious to know what kind of advice and tips you have for flares because you've spent quite a bit of time dealing with flares and having many more you know, bad days than good at, at times. So what are some of the things that you've learned over the years that have maybe helped you the most when you're going through a flare? Right. Um, several things. Um, probably one of the most important um, tips that I can give, um, and I'll give a couple, um, mm -hmm. is that you need to realize that this is not your fault that you have Crohn's or colitis. There wasn't something that you did 
that mm-hmm. caused you to have the disease. Um, and so for many years through my flare and the things that I was missing, I carried a lot of guilt for having Crohn's and colitis, Crohn's disease. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's still, um, still a struggle for me. And my wife still has to look me in the face sometimes and say, this is not your fault. Um, Now, what is my fault is if I decide to go eat Popeye's chicken and then I miss a concert that night because my system's like, screw you. I'm not. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We're not going anywhere. (laughs) Yeah, that's my fault. But also, you have to be able to live as well. Yes, yes. I, I know that some foods are going to cause me some issues. Um, I hesitate to say they're going to cause me to go into flare. They're just going to cause me some dietary issues, but I still mm-hmm. like them. And so I yeah. just need to be sure that I'm careful when I'm eating those. Um, so the first thing I would say is realize that it's not your fault. Um, the next piece of advice as you're going through a flare, I think is find your ability to smile and nod because you are going, you are going to get a ton of advice on how to fix Mm -hmm. your Crohn's disease. Um, (laughs) and it runs the gambit of supplements to, Oh, I can't even tell you some of the ones I heard. One of my favorite ones was someone messaged me on Facebook and was like, hey, I heard that if you increase your cinnamon intake, it will, <laughs> it will cure your Crohn's. <laughs> and, and hearing the word cure and Crohn's in the same sentence tells you a couple of things. A, they don't know what they're talking about because Crohn's and colitis are not curable diseases. <laughs> colitis, yeah, but- <laughs> is, colitis is more curable because you can take out the bowel, but Crohn's is absolutely not a curable disease. Mm-hmm. Um, and that they really are trying to help but don't understand and so you just have to kind of smile and nod. And I had to do that with family members. I had to do that with friends. I mean, anytime someone says, man, I ate a taco last night and it caused me some problems. So I know exactly what you're going through every day. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. You're just going to have that. So really learn to smile um, and nod um, and just say, well, thank you. Um, it's like my doctor said, if, if cinnamon was going to work, because I told him about that when he laughed Everyone out would be doing it. <laughs> yeah. if, because doctors and doctors do not want you to be sick. My doctor yeah. constantly reminds me. He said, I would be happy as all get out to not have to come to work anymore. Um, yeah. Because everyone is so well. So And just don't waste any days um, that you have. Anytime you get the chance to go out and be with people that you love or friends or family, take those opportunities and do those because they're precious, precious times. Um, and then finally, I would say, don't be afraid to rest. Um, we call it forced rest at our house. Um, uh-huh. In the last six months, while I was actually going into remission, I had two back, I had to go through two back surgeries, um, which was pretty amazing to my doctor as well, that I was going into remission while having two major back surgeries. But yeah. I had to learn how to sit still and not do anything, which is not easy for people. It's not easy, especially for um, parents um, or for people who work because they don't, you don't get to just sit and rest. You always have to be doing something. So those would probably be my best, best tips. And just laugh as much as you possibly can. Yes, that's key. I love that. I think those are fantastic tips and I really love when you said, you know, to find your ability to to nod and smile because I think there's there's more there where it can be so frustrating for us, you know, being the ones with the disease to hear everybody and their neighbor who has an idea for you and I think we need to remember that sometimes it can be more stressful to kind of engage and respond to people like, no, that's not going to work or this is why. Sometimes that can be stressful and because other people, they just want to keep pushing their advice or their tip or whatever it is going to be. So simply learning 
learning to just kind of let it roll off your back a little bit and just smile and nod and simply appreciate the gesture that that they're saying it because they care. Yeah, and, um, and they mean well, right? They mean well. mean well. And being able to appreciate it just for that fact and then and then smiling and nodding and moving on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, you know, people have been like, so my friend has Crohn's disease and this worked for for them. Have you tried that? And mm -hmm. um, I, I use a description sometimes if I'm in more of a conversation with people to describe uh, treatment of Crohn's. Um, and I, it makes them kind of click a little bit. So I'll share that. I, I, uh, I talk about that you have a ball in your hand and there's a bucket in the middle of the room. Hmm. And your job is to throw that ball into that bucket. And that's going to be the thing that gets your Crohn's under control. Um, but oftentimes when you're dealing with Crohn's, because it's so individualized, Mm -hmm. You now have to throw this ball into a bucket that's in a room that's completely dark and the bucket is moving. <laughs> and yes. so you're kind of sometimes just throwing, let's throw it all at the wall and see what sticks, right? Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's the, that's the, um, that's a great analogy. Struggle. Yeah. Yeah. yeah my doctor also talks about, Look for long-term solutions. Don't treat the symptoms. Try and treat the overall condition that you have. Uh, my mm -hmm. doctor, when he first started off, he said, yeah, I could, I could do surgery on you. And two years later, you'll be back in here because you've got Crohn's somewhere else in your system. Um, because yeah. Crohn's is gum to bum is what they call it. Um, I haven't heard it that way. It's, uh, yeah. It is. <laughs> the so, gum to and bum. I've, I've had some sores in my mouth and I have, um, I have sores at the other end too. I mean, it kind of just mm -hmm. comes up however. Um, but he's one of the first things he, um, did for us was say, I don't want to cut you open because I don't want a five year solution. I want a 20 year solution because I want you to be able to be in remission for 20 years. Um, and so that's really good too, to find a doctor that believes you and don't be afraid to find another doctor if the doctor yeah. you're being treated by isn't listening well. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. So tell me a little bit about kind of how you've learned to overcome the emotional and kind of mental toll of Crohn's because I'm sure dealing with being, having to move, you know, back home and going through this with your kids as they're growing up, what's it been like for you to manage and kind of wrap your head around it, but that mental aspect to be in a, a good spot? The mental aspect is, is difficult um, because much like um, IBD, it's going to be different for every person. I still struggle um, with the mental aspects of my IBD. I still battle depression, um, some severe depression at times. Um, I, um, get angry still sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, I was, I've had to mend relationships because of Crohn's disease. I mean, I used to get a very, um, when I, I was on prednisone for almost three years straight, which, for those of you who know prednisone, that's horrible <laughs> to be on prednisone that long. Um, yeah. But I had I went off of it, and then I was going to go back onto it. And my kids refer to prednisone as the mad dad disease or mad dad oh, medication wow. Wow. because it's it's such an emotional roller coaster when you're on prednisone. And I would do go zero to sixty, and so I've had to really watch myself and hold myself in check and stop and pause before I react to a situation, mm -hmm. um, which I think is good to do in life anyway. Yeah, um, <laughs> definitely. But understand that there emotionally, there are going to be horrible days, um, but there are going to be really nice days too. And um, again, man, just don't waste any of those moments. And so, yeah, yeah, I still deal with all that. Um, the ways that I deal with my emotional issues, I do some painting. 
Um, I paint to get my emotions out. Um, I have a, I'm thankful that I have a very, very lazy, uh, short haired border collie that, um, sleeps mm -hmm. all day or, or she's ready to play anytime <laughs> we need to. <laughs> so, um, I think that that, that she having her around the last two years, um, we had a dog before her, but, um, just having a pet around is good too, because they, they don't look at you as a sick person. They just look at you as someone to be with. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't care that you have a disease. I have two pictures uh, on my phone uh, when I opened the door when she was just a baby puppy and she's sitting there. And mm -hmm. then I have another picture just recently of her grown up and she's sitting mm -hmm. in the exact same spot outside the bathroom, Aww. just looking at the door. Right. Um, <laughs> and I think that's important because for me, I mean, I don't work. Um, I've been declared disabled, um, which mm -hmm. was another fight entirely. Um, but, um, so I don't work and I can't work because I just don't know when my system will, um, will flare up and come back. Um, so I, I'm at home a lot. And so I take care of the house. I do my best to keep up on the housework. I do all the meals. I do all the cooking. Um, mm -hmm. my wife thankfully has a great job. Um, but she's also a full-time student right now. So we've got a lot going on and two high school kids now. So we've got a lot That's going a lot on. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I sit a lot at night just in the quiet as well and just meditate and think about my day. I'm, I do a lot of journaling just about my day. Mm -hmm. I've started recently this last month um, doing a gratitude journal where I write three things that I'm thankful for every day. Um, mm -hmm. And then I look at those the next morning and realize, you know what, yesterday wasn't that bad because I had three things that I was thankful for at the end of the day. So what, what can I do today to have those three things again? What kind of impact have you noticed from that? Has it been noticeable, um, kind of mood wise, being able to reflect on that gratitude journal? Yeah, it really is because it, it centers you and it grounds you. Um, and it makes you realize that, through in spite of all the junk that that we walk through as IBD patients or IBD warriors there are still bright spots there because mm -hmm. it would be very easy for me to talk about how much I hate my disease and mm -hmm. um, one of my favorite movies is The Magnificent Seven the original one um, and I actually mm -hmm. named named my disease Calvera which is the bad guy in that movie <laughs> <laughs> so, awesome. um, it'd be easy to rail on that all the time and get down and be sad about how the fact that I can't, um, be helping my kids this week, they're doing a camp for a bunch of elementary school kids and they're down there helping and I can't be there cause I don't know what's going to happen from day to day. So it's hard for me to commit to stuff. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah, that gratitude journal has allowed me to, um, I think it's lifted my mood. Um, mm -hmm. again, I, I rely on the people around me to kind of tell me how I'm doing because I get, I get down in the muck a lot. Yeah. So. It's easy to, I mean, with this, I've noticed over the years with my own Crohn's where you'll be going good for a while and then something will happen, a, a symptom will come up or a flare comes up and it just not only, I mean, it, it takes you farther down a depression than you would, you know, you would think would be normal. It just really is a crushing blow sometimes to have these ups and downs with the disease when you're feeling good, you know, an hour ago and all of a sudden it's like, what just happened? So. Yeah. And that's the hard part. I think that's been a, a big adjustment for my kids and they're very resilient right now. I mean, we can be on the car in the car on the way to something and I'll just say, okay, I can't do this. And we turn around, we bring dad home, and then they go and do it. Um, mm -hmm. And that's still hard. I still carry an awful lot of guilt um, with that. Um, and so, again, I have to just remind myself it's not my fault <laughs> that I'm sick. Yeah. Um, and finding that new normal and realizing that you've got to You've got to do what you can when you can. I think that's a great, simple way to put it. 
So tell me, after 25 years, what compelled you to finally begin sharing your Crohn's story and being an advocate for IBD? So I think that um, going through medical trials kind of was the start of that um, because mm -hmm. I was so sick and realizing, you know, I was, I mean, we just didn't know what was going to happen. And I thought, okay, so if, if something tragic is going to happen and I'm not going to make it, then yeah, I want to be in whatever trial I can so that it's better for the next people um, that are coming behind me. Cause there's people being diagnosed with IVD every single day. I don't have mm -hmm. the number in front of me, but I'm sure it's hundreds of people every day, if not thousands of people are every day are being diagnosed with this condition or illness. Um, and so that kind of started it because I don't want to walk away um, someday and be like, I didn't leave anything behind. Um, mm -hmm. And then what really kind of kicked it over and I'm still learning how to be an advocate on social media. I'm not a super huge fan of social media, but I'm still <laughs> learning how to do that. Um, yeah. And it's a process. If anyone has any books out there yeah. <laughs> on how to, <laughs> how to be a better advocate yeah. over social media, send me the link and I'll, I'll buy it. Um, <laughs> but really it was, I think it was your podcast that you had um, with. I think you said Natalie Hayden. Yeah, Probably Natalie Hayden. One. Yeah, you and Natalie Hayden were on there, and you talked about during that podcast. I think you asked her the question, "What would you like to see?" And I think she answered, "We would like to see more men in advocacy roles for this disease." Mm -hmm. um, and so that's really where I'm coming from. Is I'm a man who has had this disease um, for 25 years, and even in the short time that I've really been active um, advocating, I haven't seen an awful lot of male advocates who are mm -hmm. telling their stories, right? I see there's more and more than I'm finding, but there's still a imbalance as far as women and men yes. who are advocating, if that makes I sense. I don't want to at all downplay the ones that are out there doing it, but... Um, especially since I'm still new at it and probably suck at it, but um, <laughs> you do not, you're doing great. <laughs> <laughs> but just being able to share that story because somewhere in the world, there is uh, another 17 year old kid who's sick and they don't know why and doesn't yeah. know what's, what's, ha what's going to happen to him. And I've had a very full life in spite of Crohn's. I mean, I have two great kids um, I have a wonderful wife. We have a great life. We have great memories. And um, Crohn's is a part of my story. It is not my story, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. It does. Yep. What's been the most surprising thing for you or, or what's it been like to share, to actually step into this role and share your story? What's that? been like? Has there been any surprising reactions or either from other people or even from yourself that you were surprised to learn? Something that would be surprising to me would be that I actually have a story to share, um, which is odd for me to say as well, because one of my volunteer things that I do is I work at our at our church and I hear stories all the time in that role about people yeah. and how their lives have been changed. And, but in the midst of all of that, I also hear those very same people with powerful stories wondering why their story matters. Um, mm -hmm. And you never know who your story is going to matter to. Um, but there's going to be one person out there that's going to hear your story and go, oh, that's me, I can get through yeah. this, or I can do this because this person has done it, or has, they're going to draw strengths from you. So I think that's probably the most uh, surprising thing is that, 
yes, I have a story and yes, it does matter. Yes. I love, I love what you just said there. That is so well put and so important. I think for all of us to remember that, that our story, even though we're the ones going through it, sometimes it feels like, ah, oh, it's, it's just my life, but it does matter. And someone else out there, even though all of our stories are different, <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of similarity and every now and again you get that one person who's going through almost exactly the same. Sure. Well, and I think, I think we found that when we were having scopes on the yeah. day right after each <laughs> other, right? Because yeah. <laughs> we were talking about prep and I was saying, what prep are you using? I'm like, oh, I hate that one. You need to try yeah. this one. <laughs> and um, because it's way easier and you know, it's just, it was just nice to, to have that connection and be able to, to know that there's another person going through this and it's okay to share that, um, yeah. with someone, um, that, that just is out there knowing what you're going through. I agree. Because Crohn's and IBD can be very, very lonely. They can. They can be isolating because it's not a topic that most people just want to jump right into a conversation about. <laughs> right. And, Hi, uh, I'm Logan. We... Can I tell you about my poop? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, I know I mentioned it in the beginning, but if people want to follow you and keep up with your story and watch your advocacy, where can they find you online? Um, so right now I am on Instagram and Twitter. And my Twitter mm -hmm. handle is the crony dad. So that's T H E C R O H N I E D A D. I hope I spelled that right. I think you I sure did. did. Um, <laughs> so I'm on Twitter and Instagram. You can also follow my personal Instagram if you want, uh, Logan Crumrine. Um, I'm on there. I also have a, a blog that I actually secured this bought for but have not started writing in it so that's probably going to be my oh. next um set so when i get that i'll send that out over social media and i'll see if i can uh, talk someone into maybe linking that in their podcast or something yeah i will uh, definitely be happy to share that out let me know as soon as you get your first post up there and and we'll start sharing that awesome was there anything, I know we covered a lot and I really appreciate that. Is there anything that I did not ask that you wanted to share today? Um, you know, I don't know. I think that um, if there's questions out there that you come across that, that I might be able to help answer. Um, I mean, I've been through the, the system of maybe we can do another cast and kind of answer those questions. But when I got... Okay. Um, was going through flare and going through trying to um, get labeled disabled, I had to walk mm -hmm. through the entire court system and everything. So I can, I can share some experience on that uh, maybe sometime um, for those people yeah. who are really sick and can't work um, because that's a daunting task to say the least. Um, yeah. If you're willing, I would love to have you come back on and do another podcast because I imagine that could probably take up a whole hour right there of just talking through that whole process and what it was like to get there and go right. through it and come out on the other end of that. Yeah. The other thing I, I would say to patients, IBD patients especially, is you have caregivers around you that are more than doctors and nurses. Uh, your families are caregivers. And so be very kind to them <laughs> because they're going to be there <laughs> when your doctors are not there. Um, and they are just the most amazing people um, I know that you interviewed your husband and that was, that was a great, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> great podcast to hear his perspective. Um, and getting those perspectives are eye opening as well. Um, because as much as they say, it's not my disease, it's yours. They're on this journey with us. So, uh, exactly. we got to remember to be nice to our caregivers. Very well said. <laughs> I agree. Well, thank you so much, Logan. I really appreciate you sharing your story with me and stepping into the role. I love how you put it on your Instagram. You said you're a rookie advocate, but yeah. I love that you're I love that you're stepping into this role and doing it. So thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah. Thank you, Stephanie. I appreciate it. 
Thank you for listening to the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have an IBD story, either as a patient or a family member that you'd like to share as a guest on this podcast, or if you have a topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email at Crohn'sFitnessFood at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about me and my Crohn's journey, follow me on Instagram using at Crohn's Fitness Food, or visit my blog for in-depth articles about my struggles and victories with Crohn's through diet, fitness, and lifestyle at www.cronesfitnessfood.com. And finally, remember, be strong, be grateful, and be the warrior that you are.